1: Hey everyone, it's Raheel. We've been talking a lot about Galveston lately, but did you know about its first settlers, the Karankawa tribe? I wanted to replay one of my favorite interviews from earlier this year when producer Carleon Jones sat down with Absalom Yatsura, a council member for the Five River Council and Karankawa native, to talk about how this forgotten tribe once freely roamed areas like Galveston Bay and Fort Bend County what led to their persecution by Spanish Anglo-Texans, and what the next generation of Caroncoa youth are doing to be officially recognized as a tribe. It's Wednesday, April 19th. I'm Rahil Ramzanali, and here's what Houston is talking about.
2: Absalom, welcome to CityCast.
3: Hi, thank you for having me.
2: Okay, so I want to talk to you um, about the history of the Kwonkawa, um tribe in Houston. So could you give me a short briefing on the history of the Kwonkawa in the Houston area, like uh, Galveston Bay area, Fort Bend area?
3: Well, in short, uh, Kwonkawa people have been in Galveston for a very long time, spanning from here up into the San Antonio areas and stretching across towards Corpus Christi. Mm -hmm. So Karankawa people had the entire coast of Texas Mm -hmm. just shy of reaching the Louisiana border. Oh, wow. And Karankawa oral history says that uh, we were not originally from this place, from the coast of Texas, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: but that we were travelers. And our story says that we traveled to the place where we found no footprints. Mm-hmm. So that place would have been the coast of Texas. And then we began to live and settle along the coasts of Texas. And uh, we have been there ever since, except for a a point in time in history with Texas settlers and the Mexican government, Mm -hmm. where Karankawa people were hunted down and pushed out of Texas to benefit Texas settlers. And we Mm. lived as refugees in Mexico for about 100 years until Caranquo people began to migrate back to the United States, back into Texas. This, of course, was due to some struggles with the Mexican government, Mm -hmm. um, things going on between the Mexican government and Texas. And it wasn't until Texas was assumed by the United States that Caranquo people started moving back in full to Texas. That's how we ended up coming back to several of our settlements that we had, whether it be down in Corpus or in the Valley area here in Houston. Most Karankawa people didn't fully return back to this area, the Houston area, until the late 40s when those families started migrating back this way.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And so that kind of leads into my next question, because most history sources claim that the Karankawa people had disappeared from Texas, the Texas coast in 1860 completely, like as if the tribe was completely extinct because of these problems with uh, the Spanish and um, like assimilation, things like that. So do you feel like calling it an extinct tribe is an accurate depiction or do you feel like it was just more so of a survival tactic?
3: So the word extinct would denote that everything was wiped out, obliterated. Mm -hmm. And while that was very much the goal of Sam Houston and the rest of the Texas settlers to eradicate us, that wasn't what happened. Karankawa people, since the beginning of the history of settlers, colonizers, conquistadors and explorers coming to the coast of Texas, Mm -hmm. have never been a friend to anyone who has come past that, uh, water. Mm -hmm. Uh, and history shows that French, Spanish, English, we considered them all an enemy. Uh, and that was most of our relationship with the surrounding tribes as well. We, we had a very big thing. If you were not Karankua, you were not trusted at Mm -hmm. all. We only trusted inside with that, that always gave the notion that we were their enemies. So they, they, they eventually, in the end, like I said, they pushed us out and where history shows that is that the last of the Karankawa members were pushed down uh, towards the Corpus Christi area. Mm -hmm. And that was where they were forced with a very big decision and that decision was, and that's where the tribe really split in half. Mm -hmm. The decision was, do we continue to be Karankawa or do we assimilate? Mm -hmm. And half of the tribe decided, well, we'll stay here in Texas and we'll assimilate. That means taking on Spanish last names or French last names, uh, dissolving your entire oral history and picking up Mm -hmm. new. So a lot of families intermarried. They Mm -hmm. intermarried into Spanish or French families. Very few married into white families. And then the other half, that's those were the ones that lived for all those years in Mexico as refugees, they mm. decided they were not gonna be anything but Karankawa and that they would move uh, to where they could settle and be themselves. Uh, that's something that was an issue with the Mexican government at that time through all those years is they could not get Karankawa people to assimilate. Mm. So, now, now, coming back to the United States in those times, you could not identify as Karankawa. That was the other thing with those families.
2: Was it dangerous to do
3: so? It's very dangerous to do so. There was still a lot of inherited racism against Native American people, specifically mm-hmm. Karanquas. It was things where people were, were fearing to go back because where they wanted to settle was already someone else's land and they didn't want any problems, you know? Mm-hmm. And in those times, uh, you could get killed very easy and no one would bat an eye, especially if you were not white.
2: Yeah. And so why do you feel like the racism was specific to Kawankawa people? Because
3: our tribe, unlike several other tribes in the United States, would not make treaties mm. with Texas, with settlers, with anything like that. No, 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 no. You don't get to come here and say, oh, well, we're going to make peace and you give us this landing. We'll give you this little portion of something. Yeah, That doesn't work for us. Everything that you're on belongs to us. Mm-hmm. And with those mentalities, the one without the gun and the one with the gun, they're going to do what they do. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Karankawa people with the with the weapons that they had at that time had a very hard time fighting back French and Spanish and English settlers because they had weapons. You know, the famous story that you hear here in Texas is uh, we call it the Night of 300 Howes. Texas history calls it the Battle of Two Trees in where 300 Karankawa warriors went down to rescue a young Karankawa girl on the Galveston Bay and Mm -hmm. the famed pirate Lafitte defeated those 300 warriors who only had axes and bows with a cannon. He was shooting cannons into the crowd of men. So there's no way to defeat that, you know, all all 300 perished on that night. Mm. And uh, so, so that, that, again, is is why there was so much hate and racism inherited and bred into people in, in Texas against Karankawa, because we wouldn't give up the land.
2: Yeah. And so on that note, that's something else that I read about the Karankawa people is that y'all don't have tribal lands and treaties or official recognition from the state or federal government because of this. So. Are y'all working to change that? Is that something that you
3: want to establish? We're in a very interesting time right now with Karankawa people. Uh, As most people are coming to find out, we never were extinct, and our Mm -hmm. families and clans have always lived uh, in secrecy. Several of us have lived together, knowing other clan members Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, families. And then the best thing about modern history now is the, or the modern times is the internet and technology. Yeah, Um, We have been able to find each other all across the United States by um, leaving comments on people's research papers that they put online. Mm -hmm. Um, Most recently, the most famous is Mm karankawas.com. It's a website run by a young man named Tim Cedar. But Several of us had messaged that, and him and his good heart said, "Hey, let me put y'all together because y'all keep messaging me, mm-hmm. but I'm not Karankwa, so y'all should y'all should message each other." Uh-huh. And within in the first meetings of of five families uh, of Karankwa descent, that's how we ended up putting together the first recognized. Government, if you could say that, mm-hmm. of Karankoa people, which was the Five Rivers Council.
2: Oh, that's beautiful.
3: And we named that Five Rivers Council after the five major rivers of Texas that we settled upon. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where we live. But uh, um, since then, that 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 time, the council, the main focus of the council uh, for the tribe has been education that mm-hmm. is that Karankawa people are still here and most of the culture that you read about in books and online um is either a lie or very vague concerning our culture so we do a lot of that presentations on what is our culture mm. um and so that's the goal of of the council now now mm-hmm. to say that that conversation has been in several of the of the meetings what mm-hmm. do we do about this? The older generation, I'm 41. Mm-hmm. My generation up does not seek any state recognition, mm-hmm. any federal recognition, any tribal lands, any thing like that. Mm-hmm. The reason why is because if you think about it over so many generations of existing, knowing who you are as a Karankawa person, Mm -hmm. The rest of those things became menial. The -hmm. most important thing came, am I alive? Do I have my family? And is my family being fed? And are they healthy and happy? Mm -hmm. And that became the main focus of a lot of Karankawa people over the last 100 years. Mm -hmm. Now, the younger generation... These guys are intense, very much involved with social justice, climate Mm -hmm. change, environment, you know, stuff like that, protesting and all that. They do believe that we should seek to be a recognized tribe and, Mm -hmm. and go to the state of Texas, you know, and seek recognition. And that's the thing that we say. So what is it that you seek in recognition? Do you just want to be seen? Mm-hmm. Or do you want some sort of land or money? Mm-hmm. You have to think about that. Yeah. And the person that you're going to ask, being the state of Texas in the United States, how will they receive that? hmm. You know?
2: So it's kind of like a disconnect between the younger and the older older generation on if you should seek it or not, basically.
3: It's not really a disconnect. We Mm -hmm. agree. We support Mm -hmm. the younger generation. It then becomes a a subject of choosing your battles wisely. Mm
2: -hmm. And what
3: is your purpose and your mission? Mm -hmm. Right now, we are the first council in close to 100 years. Mm -hmm. So where we're at now is that as the council, it's just a decision of this is what our mission is. And this is what we're supposed to do. And when it's time for you to step into these shoes, that is your mission. And that is what you're supposed to do. And so you have a lot of time to think about what it is you're going to do and how you're going to do it, Mm -hmm. because that's not going to be an easy fight.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. (laughs) Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it
2: Um, A lot of Kuwankara people are left to kind of piece together the history orally. Uh, What was that experience like for you personally growing up?
3: So a lot of our families um, retained oral history uh, and Mm -hmm. the history was kept in secret. A lot of times, many families would tell their history indoors and then with the warning of, but don't tell anybody because it'd be dangerous for you, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, you're Karankwa, but you tell people that you're Mexican or, Mm -hmm. you know, this or that, but, but you know that you're Karankwa and you know that these are our ways, those traditions of the tribe of the clans, they continue to exist within these families. The only thing that changes is, is this um, nationality of Mm -hmm. the family, you know, Uh, but, but that fear was instilled and existed even into my grandmother's days. Oh, wow. You know, when, when internet came out and we'd start researching, I, as a young man in my, in my twenties at that time, you know, my grandmother would always go, well, you need to be very careful with the things that you're doing. There's a lot of dangerous people out there and they don't want you to, 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 to be who you are and, and this and that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just it just went on that way, even to my mother's generation, where they they are aware of their indigenous background, mm-hmm. choose not to acknowledge it because they were instilled with this fear. So they they just go into life going, that's a part of me, but th- but this is this is what I am. I'm not going to openly say that part. Oh, I'm wow. going to say I'm Latino or mm-hmm. I'm Hispanic, you know, because of whatever. And several of of them end up with businesses and and beautiful careers, Mm -hmm. you know? So for them, it's, again, it was a fear. Let me not bring this up because it may jeopardize what I have going on right now.
2: Mm. Okay. Okay. And like, as we also spoke about earlier that the Cuanco people were basically, well, were the first settlers in Galveston Bay area. Um, How has that fact influenced the current culture that is in the Houston, Galveston area to to this day?
3: I don't think it has influenced the culture at all. I I believe, um, honestly, uh, Texas reached its goal and Mm -hmm. made us disappear. And with that disappearance was the installation of a whole new way of life and culture. Mm. First of all, let's talk about Houstonians. Mm
2: -hmm. Most
3: Houstonians think that Sam Houston founded Houston. Yeah. (laughs) They don't even know the proper history of the Allen brothers coming from New York City, Mm -hmm. buying a plot of land and developing it into a commercial Mm -hmm. city, Mm -hmm. you know? So I believe that Texas uh, did a really good job in what their goal was. They said, Mm -hmm. we're going to erase these people and any culture of them and their existence. Mm -hmm. We're going to instill our own culture and our own way of life. And in 100 years, we'll put up a plaque on the side of the highway and say, oh, this used to be a campground of the Karankawa people in which you now live on. But they're extinct. So don't worry about that. Continue to thrive in whatever your culture is, you know. Mm -hmm. So for us, it becomes this thing where we're caught. We love who we are. We love the city that we live in. I I could tell you, I love Houston. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the way she looks. I love the bayous. I love the parks. I love the people, the industry, the food, all of those things. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I love being Mm Karanqua, you know, and, and that's just where we are now. Is it a meeting you in the middle? Did I assimilate? I did assimilate. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I speak English and I speak Spanish, and I'm I'm barely now learning Karankoa language. So, so it becomes a a thing right now. Where, where as a Karankwa individual and and being a Texan or living in Houston or whatever city we live in, we are very proud of those things. You know, we we do love those things. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's choosing those battles. I'm not gonna live my life every day saying. Oh well, you stole my land, or you did this, or you mm-hmm. whatever those things are. This is very true, and I'll never forget that history. Mm-hmm. But that is the history, and this is the present, and I have to determine what I'm going to do with the present to ensure that there is a future for Karankawa people that are coming up and mm-hmm. who will be living in this modern world. Mm-hmm.
2: How can people who want to experience the Karankawa culture do it in a respectful way?
3: The best way you can experience Karankawa culture and do it in a respectful way is by being a friend to Karankawa people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, that's part of, the, part of the experience in the culture. Uh, we have met several individuals over this time Mm-hmm. And they have come and they've sat with several of us at fires and prayed with us. Um, mm-hmm. you know uh, that is the culture. you know, mm-hmm. learning to to develop trust between two individuals, you know, and mm-hmm. how two individuals can share something that maybe they have to better each other. You know that's Karan- that's quunqui way. that that was our way from the beginning.
2: Thank you so much for coming on to CityCast today. Uh, we really
3: appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you all so much for having us.
1: That was producer Carleon Jones with Absalom Yetsura. To learn more about the Karankawa people, you can click on the link in our show notes. All right, before we go, have you been seeing a lot more vacancy signs at office buildings here in H Town? Well, a new report from Yahoo Finance says Houston is leading the nation with 19% of all office space sitting empty even though 60% of workers have returned to the office. How does that math work out? Well, the reason is because real estate developers took advantage of low interest rates during the pandemic and gave our city a building boom that it might not have needed. The report also compared major cities, and Dallas was second with 17.2%, New York was 12.3%, and Chicago came in at 15.1% of all office space sitting empty. That will do it for today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review. That's the easiest way for you to support and help us grow the show. I'm Raheel Ramzanali, and I hope you learned something new.
3: Um, where you, you have to, uh, excuse me. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, it's fine.